The following audio comes from the National Disciple Making Forum by Discipleship.org. The theme was relationships, and Ken Adams of Impact Ministries led a track called The Making of a Disciple Making Church. Have you signed up for the next National Disciple Making Forum? Every year, disciple makers from across the country and around the world gather together in one place to learn disciple making. Save your seat and register now. You can find a registration link at discipleship.org. At checkout, use promo code PODCAST to get 20% off your tickets. In addition to this podcast, you'll find many other great discipleship resources at discipleship.org as well. Now here's today's track session. I have started every session with this uh, uh, verse out of Matthew, and so I'm not going to change it now. Uh, this is uh, uh, this is really kind of uh, the the reason that we do what we do, and that is uh, in Matthew chapter uh, 16, verse 18, Jesus speaking to Peter, and he says, "And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church." And quite honestly, uh, that's the premise behind everything we do is that the church belongs to who? Jesus, Jesus right? And so if it belongs to him, then we need to, we need to do it the way he wants it done, right? And so uh, we need to lead the church. He's going to build it, but he's using us to lead it. And so we're going to lead it uh, the way that we can, best way that we can, the way he wants it to be led. And so that leads us to a couple things that I want to uh, give you just by way of introduction. And again, kind of giving you the big picture. So if you're just coming in, uh, this will make it, uh, hopefully help you help it to make some sense to you. Uh, sort of the premise behind all that we do, and I think probably this is true in every one of these, every one of these sessions is, is that we believe uh, fundamentally the church was designed to be a movement of multiplying disciples. We really do. In fact, if, if you were to go back 2,000 years, if, if Jesus were to come today and look at the way we're doing church, I think he'd say, man, that's not, that's not really how I had it designed. That's not really how I had it intended. Not that it's bad, but it's just not best, right? In fact, I think what's happened today is, is that the church in most cases is more of a movement of addition than it is multiplication. Uh, I've shared this in every session. The statement, the one statement that has just really, really impacted my life and has impacted a lot of what we do. I heard somebody say this years ago. I wish I knew who to give credit to, but somebody said this. They said uh, that Jesus started the church the way he wanted it. Now he wants it the way he started it. And so I really believe that. I really do believe that. I believe that our job is to try to help uh, get the church back to what Jesus intended it to be, what he really started it to be, what he wanted it to be uh, when he began it 2,000 years ago. And so, uh, so with that said, here's what we've discovered. And literally um, out of the last 30 years of, of trial and error and really just experimenting, uh, we have actually realized that becoming a disciple-making movement is going to have to have four things, going to have to have uh, really Sorry. four uh, four essential ingredients, if you want to call them that, elements. I don't know. We just know there's four things you got to have, okay? And so uh, I'm just going to give you this. They're right here uh, on this page. So look at this, if you will, because if you're just now joining us, you don't know this. If you've been in here on all sessions, you've got this memorized by now, all right? So uh, uh, so here's what we think. Uh, first of all, and, and, and let me say this, is it because the church belongs to Jesus, is that everything we do, everything we're about, flows out of Jesus' model of ministry. Which actually, that's what everybody should be, everybody in this conference is all 
uh, believes in a, a Jesus style of mission methodology and philosophy of doing ministry, which, which is what I think is so great about this, this conference, this forum, is the fact that it's all based on uh, Jesus' approach and Jesus' style. So that's true for us, and that's true for what we're doing. So, so everything that we are doing here uh, is, is, comes out of the life of Christ, comes out of uh, Christ's model of ministry. And then it's just, uh, quite honestly, we're just hammering it out in, uh, an, in a local church. And so to be honest with you, that's what we bring to the table here is that we've been, we've been working on it. We, we're, uh, we're not uh, theory guys. We're general practitioners. And so uh, myself, Glenn, Mike, uh, we're just local pastors in a local church that we got all the same stuff going on in our lives that you do. Uh, we've got meetings, we've got facility issues, we've got budget issues, we've got leadership issues, we got, you know, we got all that stuff going on. And yet uh, we're still trying to figure out how to be a church that's doing what Jesus called us to do. Uh, he started the church the way he wanted it, and he wants it the way he started it. And so we're trying to do that. So these are the four things that we've discovered. Uh, the very first thing you got to have is that you got to have a clearly defined target. You got to know. You got, you got to know what you're aiming at or guess what? You'll hit anything, right? You'll hit anything. And so, uh, so here's what I can tell you is that when, and, and everybody in this whole conference is going to agree with this. Clearly Jesus came to do what? Came to make disciples. Now I will tell you, he actually came to do two things. He came, number one, to make redemption possible for all mankind, didn't he? And in fact, he is the only one that can do that. But notice this, he didn't just do that. Then he started a movement to make sure that that message of redemption would be passed down to every nation and every generation. And we are part of that. So we can't do the first part, but we are a part of that second part. And we're still supposed to be doing we're still supposed to be doing that. We're still supposed to be a part of that movement that's passing that on. And that's the movement of multiplication. That's what the church ought to be. We ought to just be getting that message of redemption to every person in every nation in every generation, right? And so that's what we're called to do. So, uh, so everybody knows that we're here to make disciples. But as they said last night, uh, Putman even said uh, that the challenge is, are we all defining it the same way? Are we all defining it the same way? And so... Uh, we believe that uh, uh, Jesus gives us uh, a, pretty, a pretty clear picture of that when he says in Luke chapter 6, verse 40, he says, a disciple who is fully trained will look like his teacher. So here's what I can tell you. You've got to figure out what a fully trained disciple looks like. And we would say that you can, you, that's not some obscure uh, abstract picture. We would say that you can actually identify a certain set of characteristics. We've identified seven of them. I'm not telling you that we've, you know, it's the only, but, but you can figure certain things out that were true of Jesus, true of his disciples, true of their disciples, therefore ought to be true of us. So we call that, if you're just now joining us, we call that an M7 disciple. A disciple who's got seven marks of Jesus Christ in his life. And so, uh, so those are really pretty much the conduct of his life. Obviously, we also need the character of Christ, and that's produced by the Spirit of God in our lives. Amen? And so uh, we start with our target, 
Then secondly, is that in order to hit your target, you gotta have a what? You gotta have a strategy. You gotta have a strategy. And so it, here's why it's not gonna happen. People aren't just gonna show up at your church and it all become all of a sudden become fully trained disciples. Right. Just because they said in a service. You gotta have a you gotta have a plan. I will submit to you that Jesus is the most intentional and strategic leader in history. I mean, we're we're sitting here 2,000 years later talking about what he did because he did it so well. Very good. He was, he, Jesus didn't get up and just say, well, what am I going to do? He wasn't winging it. He wasn't making it up as he went. He was very, very strategic. He took, he took I mean, think about this. He took guys that were just ragtag renegades and turned them into world-changing leaders. We are where we are today because of what he did in the lives of of 11 men who've impacted the rest of history. Now think about that. Think about what that means for us and what we're supposed to do. So you gotta have a clearly defined target, but then you also have to have a strategy, a church-wide strategy that you can work. So here's what our strategy is. It's the same one, we didn't, we didn't make it up. We're just doing what Jesus did. Here's what he did. He said, come and see, come and follow me, come and remain in me, come and go out from me. That's it. So if you're just now getting here, that's it. You probably have heard that in some other sessions. So the way we say it in our church is this, is that you, you can sit right there on the outline. So come and see is what? We reach out. Come and follow me is what? We get you plugged in. Did you notice this? Uh, Glenn, Glenn touched on this a little bit yesterday, but when Jesus, when Jesus called his disciples to come and follow me, he's actually moving locations. He's been at Bethany near the Jordan because that's where John was baptizing. Now he's going where? Now he's going back to Galilee or to Capernaum. And so if you're going to travel from Bethany to Galilee in those days, you don't have planes, trains, or automobiles. You're going to get there how? By walking. And that's going to take what? Days. And when you're walking with somebody from days, guess what's going to happen? You're going to develop a relationship right so what do we do so we invite people to come and see that's just checking it out that's just taking a test drive man yeah. so we want people to come we want people to come to our church all the time take a test drive we just want them to come see what's going on but then I, from day one you asked this question earlier about small groups so I talk about small groups all the time and we're inviting people to take their next step so guess what that next step is come and follow we're just saying the same thing, but we say it in a different way. We say, take your next step. So come and get connected relationally to a small group. That's really where we want people to start. So then uh, the, uh, the next step is to build them up, and then the last step is to send them out. So the plug-in phase and the build-up phase is step number three, ingredient number three, and that is got to have a right environment. you got to have the right environment. So just like Jesus did, again, Again, we didn't create this. We didn't invent this. We didn't discover this. We just see it right in the Gospels. Jesus, Jesus took uh, untrained people. He turned them into fully trained, what we would call an M7 disciple, through the context of a small environment of a small group. And so Jesus literally used a small group to change the lives of the men who had changed the world. And so... Uh, so in that small group, uh, we just, if you're just now coming in, we just spent the last hour talking about 
Every small group needs to be a mission-driven group, not an agenda-driven group. And there are four things that every group ought to have. You ought to have a certain amount of content or information. Jesus would have called it truth. And then you need to have a certain amount of contact, which is relationship, because more is caught than taught, right? Because you learn by being with somebody. And then they need to have a certain amount of context. Quite honestly, this is the area of disciple making that the church of Jesus Christ is as weakest in today as anything. Because here's what we do. Because we do more disciple making in classrooms like this right here or in living rooms in people's houses than we do out there in the field where people awesome. need to experience ministry. So I learned, Mike was telling you a great story about how he learned to share his faith. So here, here's how I learned to share my faith. I, I grew up outside of a place called Stone Mountain, Georgia. So Stone Mountain is a big, huge, exposed piece of granite. Back in the 70s, and they cleaned it up. But back in the 70s, people used to go out there in their, in their uh, custom vans and their uh, Mustangs and Monte Carlos and Grand. That's how old I am, man. And so they would go out there and they would, they would hang out all the way around Stone Mountain and smoke dope on Sunday afternoon. I'm not kidding you. They would smoke dope. It was not a family-friendly environment. It was a pothead smoking, you know, hangout. And so, so the, where I learned to share my faith was at Stone Mountain Park. And so uh, me and a bunch of guys were in a Bible study. Uh, we drove over there. I had an older brother, and he, was, he said, we're going to go witnessing on Sunday afternoon. And I was like, who's we? <laughs> and he said, the guy's in this group right here. And so we go over there. We get out of the car, and he hands me a pack of tracks. And he takes a pack of tracks. He says, you guys go with Ken, and I'm going here. And, and, I, and, and then I said, what are we going to do? And he said, you're going to go share Jesus with people. And so... That's like taking a guy to a swimming pool and just pushing him off in the deep end, right? And say, so go figure it out, right? Go learn. And so, uh, so you know, but I, would, I wouldn't give, I couldn't tell you that the priceless environment that I learned there. But it wasn't just, it wasn't just sitting in a small group being taught the four spiritual laws or some method or whatever. It was what? It was getting out there in, in ministry. and. And there's, oh man, I could just go off on that. I could give you so many examples of how, but here's what we got to do. You got to get your group in context. And the last thing's correction, all right? So I just gave you all that we've talked about in, in about 10 minutes. So, all right? So now here's the last key. Is it, here's what's got to happen. Is it all that's got to be driven by what? Leaders. leaders. It's all got to be driven by leaders. All got to be driven by leaders. So, um, so uh, if you will, notice on your... Uh, uh, when you came in, did we give everybody a uh, did we give everybody a connect card? Yeah. So if we didn't, we want to give you a little uh, connection card so that you can uh, uh, you can connect with us and we can help. Because what we want to do is uh, our goal is just to share with you uh, really anything that we've been learning. So we uh, uh, I've said this before, but we uh, man we have just basically been swinging at it. We have not arrived at all. We're trying to flesh it out and figure it out. So we're here. And the reason we're at this, this uh, forum is that we want to share what God's shown us. And so uh, we're really just on the journey, to be honest with you. We're, we have not arrived. Wouldn't dare tell you that we're a movement of anything. Uh, we are just really uh, a laboratory of research and development. But here's the deal. We have learned a few things, and so uh, that's been, been, been helpful for us. 
And so anything that we've learned, we just want to share that with you. And so, but we also would be willing to come and, and, and connect with you and help your church. So if, if we can be of service to you, let us know that. And that little connect card is how you can do that. So I'll make sure I get that out because I'll forget that later. So if we can help you, uh, let us know. So, uh, so let's talk about in this last session here, uh, let's just talk about this whole idea of leadership. And here's what I will tell you is that if you're going to have a disciple making church, you don't just need leaders. Because you already have them. You got to have what? Disciple making leaders. If you're going to have a disciple making, I mean, you know, that's just like the no brainer of the day, right? If you're going to have a disciple making church, you got to have disciple making leaders because people are going to follow your leaders. And so if you don't have the right kind of leaders, you're going to end up in the wrong direction. And so, uh, so I heard a statement years ago that is just, oh my gosh, it's just so important. Listen to this. So if you're going to have a movement of multiplying disciples, listen to this. A movement will only expand as fast as its leadership is developed. Now listen to that. Because this, if you take all that other stuff we just talked about, you're going to realize it all is going to rise and fall on our ability to develop leaders, right? So a movement is only going to expand as fast as its leadership is developed. So I want to, I want to give you a little visual here. And uh, I see that this is a very, 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 the, high Q, the IQ here is looking good. All right. So, uh, so this will be easy for you. And so uh, I brought something with me. Anybody know what that is? <laughs> now everybody's now everybody's going. I ain't saying nothing, man. <laughs> Jesus, that's good, man. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just always go if you're in a starts with a J, ends with an S. It's gonna be good, right? So uh, it's an apple, and so uh, it's a fake apple, but it's an apple. And so here's the real question I want to ask you: Is how many apples do I have in my hand? <laughs> Zero. <laughs> How many apple? How many? Countless, countless. Countless. All right. So nobody just said one. Usually I get a bunch of people saying one. All right. And why'd you say countless? You know why. Yeah, yeah. Because here's what happens. Because in every apple, you went to Georgia Tech, didn't you, man? So in every apple, you got what? Four seeds, six seeds, something like that. About four seeds, whatever. So in in every seed, there's a what? There's a tree, and in every tree, there's what? There's hundreds of apples, and then, and then you got a what? Then you've got an orchard, right? Okay, so here's the deal. So you've got, you've got as many apples in my hand as you can eat. You've got countless apples. You just have to do what? Develop them. You just have to develop them. So you know what the one, number one thing I hear from pastors that I talk to? I talk to pastors and I'll say, what's your biggest challenge in your church right now? Guess what it is, hands down. I don't have enough leaders. leaders. It's not even we don't have enough money. It's we don't have enough leaders. You know what I say to that? You got as many leaders as you need. You got as many leaders as you what? Can develop. You got as many leaders as you can develop. In fact, let's think about this. Jesus started a movement that changed the world. Been going for over 2,000 years. So when he first started, how many leaders did he have? Zero. <laughs> when he first started, he had zero. So where did he get those leaders? He developed them, right? So here's what he did. So this is key. Listen to this. 
Jesus didn't say, go make leaders. He didn't say that. He said, go make what? Disciples. Disciples. And then he appointed them to be leaders. That's huge. He made disciples and he appointed them to be leaders. So here's what happens. So if, if you want to have the best, ooh, this is so good. The best leadership comes out of what? Discipleship. Best leadership. You know what's crazy? Man, for years I've been going to these. I, mean, I can't tell you how many leadership podcasts I've listened to, leadership books I've read, leadership seminars I've gone to. You know what's crazy? Is that this is about the only disciple-making conference I know of. And you can't hardly find anything on disciple-making. I'm, I'm not kidding you, man. You can go to, you can go to a, a Lifeway and, and just... Oh my, I'm going to get off on a rant here. So go to Lifeway and look for the, you would think if the mission of the church is to make disciples, you would think there'd be a whole section on books on disciple making. Can I just tell you something? There's not. They don't even have a section. They have one on preaching. They have one on worship. They have one on education. They have one on general Christian. I mean, there is not a section on disciple making. The very thing that, the very mission of the, that, I don't know about you, but that ought to say something, right? That'll tell us something about where we are these days and, 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 and the mess that we're in. So, where am I at? <laughs> anyway, uh, so, uh, so here's the deal. So, you, so Jesus, the best leadership comes out of discipleship. That's what Jesus did. And so here's what we, we do. Is that we've got to develop the right kind of leaders in the church. And so you say, well, where does that happen? How does that happen? Well, I want to tell you about a, a verse that I came on. Uh, I don't know, man. I've, I've been into this ministry for a good, I don't know, 20 years or so, or something like that. And we have been, we have been really, really working hard. We have been working hard at, 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 you know, focused on making disciples and all this kind of stuff. But I began to realize something. I began to realize that that what we were missing was the was seeing we saw a lot of people become disciples but they weren't they weren't taking on the challenge of leadership and they weren't reproducing and they weren't I thought we got to we got to figure this out we got to do something different and so there were two statements that just kept resonating in my head and one of them I heard um, about 30 years ago one of the very first things that I heard was a statement by this uh, leadership guru named John Maxwell and so he's written a book or two about leadership. I went to a conference. I still got the notebook on the top of the notebook, front of the notebook. It's a three-ring binder kind of notebook. And it says, everything rises and falls on leadership. I remember hearing him say that at this conference. And I thought, yeah, that's a good idea. That's a good idea. And I didn't really buy into that. I didn't really think that. Nah, really. And then... About 20-something years later, I was listening to a podcast by this guy named Tom Rainer, and who's had a life way, and he makes a statement. He says, so basically about 70-something percent of churches are plateaued or declining. And I was like, wow. If, if even half of that's true, that's not right. And then it hit me. I thought, how did we get there? And then all of a sudden, guess what popped up in my mind? Everything rises and falls on leadership. I believe that. I, I believe it. In fact, I'll be honest with you. This is probably the biggest challenge in our church right now. This is probably the biggest challenge in our church right now is 
a movement will only expand as fast as leadership is, is increased. So here's, here's the way we like to describe it at our church. So if you, uh, if you had a piece of cardboard like this right here, you had a piece of cardboard, and you start pouring sand on it, and you start pouring, what happened to that sand? It will mound up, right? It'll come up into a cone, right? But then eventually what's going to happen? It's going to start spilling off the sides, isn't it? So it's going to fill up the cardboard. It's going to start. So the only way that you can keep more sand is what? You, well, you got to do one or two things. You either got to cut off the flow. Well, that's not an option. Hello? Yeah, come on. You ain't going to cut off the flow because we're living in a world with people who are dying and going to hell without Jesus. Yes. You can cut off the flow. So here's our problem. We got to get more what? Cardboard. We got to get more cardboard. And movement only expands as fast as what? Leadership and growth. So you got to go develop them, don't you? You got to go develop them. And so if you don't, here's what's going to happen. It's just going to fall off. That's our, quite honestly, this is our challenge in our church right now. I mean, we, we, we literally, we got a, we've got a great front door. I mean, we're going to have between somewhere around 1,500 first-time visitors this year. We're going to have somewhere around 1,500 first-time visitors. And our problem is they just keep falling off the side. I mean, I'm take, bringing you into our world right now and where we're at. And we've got to be able to increase our cardboard. We've got to get more leaders. And this is our biggest challenge. So we're working a plan. We're working a process because we believe that if, if our church and a lot of other churches are plateaued like Rainer says, it's because we don't have enough cardboard. We don't have enough leadership. So here's what you've got to do. So you've got to do two things. Number one is that you've got to define, just like you've got to define what a disciple looks like, you've got to define what a leader looks like. And the second thing you do is you've got to have a process of developing those leaders. Everybody with me? First thing you've got to do is what? You've got to define it. Then the second thing you've got to do is what? Have a process. Because here's what's going to happen. They're not going to automatically turn in, they're not going to automatically turn into leaders. All right? You know, we, we live uh, where we, where our neck of the woods is, we are about 20 minutes from Chick-fil-A headquarters. All right? Christian chicken, all right, and so uh, so we're about 20 minutes from Chick Fil A headquarters. Now I, I'm not I'm not I'm not fa- this is I'm not embellishing this at all. If you walk into Chick Fil A headquarters and you could get an appointment and say, do you know what an owner operator looks like? In other words, the leader of one of those franchises. If you said, do you have a profile? Do you know what? A, guess what they would say? Yes, we'll get you the notebook. Yeah. They ain't playing. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not telling you. I'm telling you. You know how hard it is to even get hired at Chick Fil A corporate. Yeah, no, I, and to become an owner operator, oh my gosh, they're not just picking anybody. They got them standing in line to become owner operators, and so they're going to say, "We're going to go get you the, we're going to go get you the, uh, the notebook." And then if you ask this question, if you said, "So do you guys have a plan for developing owner operators?" What do you think they're going to say? Absolutely. Nah, nah. We just look for somebody that'll that'll run a store. Somebody's got five grand. They'll start a store. Probably more than that now, but anyway, that's what it used to be. It used to be five grand. Yeah, it used to be five grand. You could get a store. Not anymore. Guess what they'll say? They'll say, well, we're going to go get you the notebooks. Let me tell you what Chick-fil-A's great at. They are great at defining what they want their leadership to look like, and they are masters. I'm telling you, we got kids in our church 
that are in leadership development programs in Chick-fil-A. Just hoping they can get to the list to become an owner-operator. It's incredible. And, and you know the story, you, you know that they're expanding like crazy and they're 100% debt free. <coughs> Unbelievable. Now here's what's sad. What's sad is, is that I've got to point you to a corporate fast food restaurant for a model of leadership and I'm not pointing you to the church. That's what's sad. So, say all that to tell you in our journey a number of years ago, when I was working through all this and I was trying to figure it out, I guess it was just an accident. Uh, not at all. It was <laughs> providence. God brought me to a verse in the Old Testament I'd never read before. I'd never, I was reading through the scripture and I was reading through Jeremiah and I came across a verse. I came across a story in Jeremiah chapter 3. Some of y'all remember this story. The nation of Israel is a divided nation, northern kingdom, southern kingdom. Northern kingdom had just been taken captive by the Assyrians. And then in the southern kingdom, they are, uh, they, uh, Jeremiah comes to prophesy, and he basically says this, you guys are heading down the same road that your brothers to the north did. And he literally says, you need to turn away from your false gods, your Asherah poles, and you need to turn back to God. And he says, Look, he literally says, look at what happened to your brothers to the north. And so then he says, as their solution, their answer, he says, speaking for God, and he says, and I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will lead you, it says in the NIV, who will lead you, some versions say feed you, with knowledge and understanding. It just hit me like a ton of bricks. It just hit me. I thought, wait a minute, you know what? God's plan to bring his people back to him was not a building, was not a program, was not a book, it was not curriculum, it was what? Shepherds. Now that's not sheep shepherds, that's people shepherds, and we call those what? Leaders. And you know what hit me? Everything rises and falls on leadership. So here's what happens. You know the story. They don't turn back. They don't turn to God. So who, who comes in? Babylonians come in. They conquer them, conquer the Assyrians as well. And so then some of them are sent back, sent out, released from captivity. But you know what? It doesn't end well, right? In fact, by the time you get to Malachi, God just goes silent for 400 years. But then this is what's crazy. After 400 years of silence, the very next thing that happens in history is that God sends a leader. What was his name? Jesus. John the Baptist comes and then Jesus, he kind of the forerunner and then Jesus shows up. And guess what Jesus is? Uh, you might get, get, you might push back on this, but here's what I think. I think Jesus is the perfect fulfillment of Jeremiah 3.15. I actually think Jeremiah 3.15 could be considered a prophecy of Jesus. Because here's what Jesus, he's the perfect model, perfect model of a shepherd after what? God's own heart. Who knew how to lead with what? Knowledge and understanding. And so what did Jesus do? Jesus did the same thing that Jeremiah said. His job was to turn people what? Back to God. Lead, lead people back to God. With what? With the right heart, right knowledge, and right understanding. And then, after Jesus leaves, guess what? 
He's, he's expecting us to do the same thing. He's expecting us to be shepherds after God's own heart. So here's what we did. So Jeremiah chapter 315 gave us as a church, when I read it, I went, oh my gosh, this is our definition of what a leader needs to look like. We want literally, we want every leader in our church. Go ahead and show us that one. We want every leader in our church to have three things. We want every leader to have the right what? The right heart. We want every leader to have the right knowledge. And then we want every leader to have the right what? Understanding. Understanding. Now here's the thing I can tell you about this. Is that I didn't come up with this. I made the diagram. Guess who came up with it? God did. So here's the cool thing. I can, is that This is right out of the Word of God. Here's what he said. He said this about 3,000 years ago. He did it with Jesus, and I think he wants to do it today. So what we're trying to do is that we're literally, we have defined, we have defined what a leader looks like, and now we have a process of trying to develop these 315 leaders in our church. And so we're developing not just leaders, we are developing Disciple-making leaders. And so here's what they need to have. Let me give you four things here real quick. Number one, the first thing they need to have is they need to have the right heart. Now let's unpack that for a little bit. Because everybody, everybody knows the word heart. We use the word heart. It's a good Christian word, isn't it? You got to have the right heart, 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 all right? And so, uh, so think about this for a minute. Because I think a lot of times... I think we kind of miss this, miss the real idea. I think the word heart literally is this. It really is what motivates you. It really is what drives you to do what you do. It's not just something that you feel. It's something that drives you to do what you do. I call this the, the purpose of leadership or the why of leadership. Or another word is this is the mission. This is the mission. So here's what I want to say. Think about this. So we use this word like this. We say, we say this to our kids all the time. We say, come on, buddy, do it with all your heart. We say, oh, man, come on, man. Your heart's not in it, right? So when we use those phrases, here's what we're saying. We're saying get your motivation right. We're saying get your desire right. We're saying get your, your, uh, uh, your drive, be, be driven by the right thing. So here's my question. So when, I, when we say that we need to be shepherds after God's own heart, here's what I believe that means. The same thing that drove Jesus to do what he did ought to drive us to do what we do. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what it would be like to have a whole community of leaders in your church that are all being driven by the same thing that drove Jesus to do what he did? You'd be cooking with gas at that point, wouldn't you? <laughs> I'm serious. Think about this. Can I tell you something? Listen, is what drove Je what did Jesus do? First of all, here's what he did. Jesus Christ left the right hand of the Father. He left the majesty and the splendor and the glory of heaven to come here to a slimy, stinky, smelly, sorry place called earth. What on earth would drive him to do that? I'll tell you what it was. I believe this with all my heart. What drove Jesus to do what he did was that he wanted to see every person in every nation, in every generation, know what it means to be a disciple and to build disciples. Great commandment, great commission. I believe sum up why Jesus did what he did. 
I really do. I believe that why? That what drove Jesus to do what he did was the great commandment and the great commission. In fact, I believe that's why he, can, he said, you can hang all the law and all the prophets on it. And I believe that's why those were his famous last words. I believe that you can take those two statements and they sum up why Jesus did what he did. And here's what I'll also say. When you have a whole community of leaders that are driven by the question, how can we make disciples and how can we make more disciples? How can we do? How can we be disciples and make disciples? Here's what it'll do. It will, it will make what you say yes to and what you say no to a whole lot easier. Very good. It really will. So good. You'll be able to figure it out because you'll say, hey, somebody says, hey, well, why don't we do blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Well, then here's the question. Is it going to help us to make disciples? Right. So good. And you know what? At that point, it changes your whole, the whole direction of your heart. See, here's the thing. If the heart isn't right, nothing else is ever going to be right. So good. But if the heart's right, guess what? Everything else will figure itself out. It really will. In fact, maybe that's the reason why Solomon said this. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 32. You know what he says, right? Guard your heart. He didn't say your mind. He didn't say your hands. He said guard your heart. Why? It is the source. It's the wellspring. It is the source of what? Everything you do. Source of everything you do. I wrestled with this. I, 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 I wrestled with this for so long. I thought, man, how do you know somebody's heart? I, I couldn't figure this out. I, could, I kept struggling with this. I thought, man, how do I even know my own heart? I mean, I, you know, am I being driven by the right thing? Am I, me being here today, is my heart right? I'm, I hope it is. I mean, I really do. I'm trying to, I'm here because I want to be a disciple and I want to build disciples and I, I want to do the same thing Jesus did and so made it easy for me to say yes to being here, but I want my heart to be right. I don't always know that it is. So I, I started thinking about this and it finally it hit me. I mean, it's like, it, it, it literally, it was like a revelation. I said, wait a minute. I know exactly how you know where a person's heart is. Here's how you know. You know a person's heart is by what they complain about the most. It's true. In fact, think about this. I've been a pastor now for 30 years, almost 30 years in June, this church. How many letters, how many letters you think I've gotten? Emails, letters, phone calls, visits. In the last 30 years, have people said, Pastor, if we don't start making more disciples, I'm leaving here. <laughs> How many do you think I have like that? None. None. That was easy. You knew that easy, didn't you? I have, you know what? I, this, is, this is crazy. In 30 years, you know how many letters I've gotten from people saying, if, if we don't, listen, if we don't start baptizing more people, what's up? What's, what, what, how come we're only baptizing 200 people a year? What's the problem with that? And I've never had anybody say that. I don't have any of those letters. I don't have anybody who says, Pastor, if you don't start preaching on giving more, we're, we're out of here. <laughs> I'm waiting on that letter. I'm still waiting on that letter. 30 years. Now, here, let me contrast this. How many letters do you think I've gotten about the temperature in the auditorium? <laughs> How many letters do you think about the lights that we use or the sound that we use or the video screen or even about the clothes that I wear on Sunday morning? <laughs> you know what? You, you know what? You know person's heart is by where they complain the most. So this is crazy. This is unbelievable. You ain't going to believe this. I hope I got time for this. I have no idea. So, um, okay, so here we go. So, 
so uh, we moved into a brand new building, beautiful building, really kind of state-of-the-art building about eight years ago. Right before that, I was doing a consulting thing up in Chicago, on the west side of Chicago, with this pastor of a church in kind of an old community. And it was a community where when it was built, the church was in the center of it. And there are all these, you know, streets that run like this all around it. And so I spent half a day with him and we talked about everything. We got ready to leave and I walked outside and I said, hey, man, I, I, got, I got a question for you. It's a beautiful Beautiful old block building. I mean, like like block stone stuff. I said, where's your parking lot? He had one little place, space for two cars. <laughs> this is your problem right here, man. Nobody can park. There's nobody. I said, where's your parking lot? He said, man, he said, they, we don't have a parking lot. We'll never have a parking lot. He said, we don't have land for a parking lot. I said, well, where do people park? He said, they park all up and down the subdivision or they park at the ballpark right up the road up here, about a quarter of a mile. I said, I said wait a minute. I said, like, it snows here, right? <laughs> it's like, I mean, I'm south, man. I mean, I mean, I mean we, we have a crisis, <laughs> you know, if it flakes a little bit, you know. And I'm like, so y'all, so I said, y'all have like a tram to pick them up and stuff? Like a heated tram. <laughs> He's like, are you kidding me? He said, people, this, this is the way we do life here. People walk to church. I'm thinking, wow, that's crazy. So uh, I get to back to our church, and uh, a few weeks later, we're opening our new facility, and we got this beautiful state-of-the-art facility, and our parking lot is a slight incline. Slight incline, right? I'm, I'm talking about just slight incline. I mean... He might, might breathe a little heavy walking up it, but not bad. I mean, you won't sweat and you won't, you know. And so of all the things, guess what the very first comment I heard about our brand new spanking $16 million building was? What did you build it on a hill for? I was like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? And really? That's the first email. That's the first response. The first letter I got was, why did you build this thing on a hill? It was time to be spirit controlled. Because <laughs> that is not what I wanted to be, man. That is not what I wanted to be. And I thought, you know what? Here's the deal. Is that Jesus climb a, would climb a hill covered with glass and down a cross to see one person become a disciple, make more disciples. Man, I'm telling you. Your heart's right. Everything else is right. The heart's wrong. Nothing else will ever be right. Got to have leaders with the right heart. So here's the deal. You got to develop them. You got to develop them. Because we don't start out with the right heart. We start out with a messed up heart. You got to get that heart right. Second thing is that you got to have knowledge. You got to have knowledge. So what is the knowledge? The knowledge part this is, check this out. So this is actually the disciple making part because there were some things that Jesus knew his disciples needed to know before they could lead the way he wanted them to lead. You say, well, what, what, what do you mean by it? What kind of things? Well, if, if the heart is the purpose of leadership, then this is what we would call the priorities of leadership. This is what we would call the priorities of leadership. And so here's what happened. So Jesus, Jesus gave them 
a mission when, he, when they discovered his heart, but Jesus also gave them a model when they saw how he did three things. When they saw how he lived the life he wanted them to live, when they saw how he led them to live the life, and then when he saw how they how he led them to become leaders of leaders, they leveraged their influence. So here they are, three of them. So you got the three things they need to know, how to live the life, how to lead others to live the life, and how to leverage your influence to have leaders of leaders. That's what Jesus did. Sum it all up, that's what Jesus did. In three years, he gave his disciples very very strategic, very strategic um, model for them to follow. And here's what that does. Again, once you know what you're supposed to do and not do, it helps you figure out what you say yes to and what you say no to. It really does. You know, think of it like this. If, uh, if we were going to go out here, they got this, uh, you know, I, I, every time I drive on this campus, I look at all that beautiful grass out there. And I think one day they ought to build something over there. You know? If we were going to go out there and build a new building, and I said, so here's the deal. I said, you, you, go, you go start the walls, and you go start the foundation, and you go start the, uh, the, the, the roof or whatever, and just go out there. I got all the supplies out there that you need to go at it. So you, you, what's going to happen? If you start working on that, what's going to happen? You have a mess, right? You got to have what? You got to have a blueprint, right? Y'all all got to be working off the same page, right? So here's what Jesus is. Jesus is the blueprint for every leader. I love the way Glenn said this the other day. We were talking. He says, so every leader, listen to this. This, this thinking at another level right here. Every leader, leader in our church ought to be the picture of the preferred destination. Wow. <laughs> here's the tension with that. Is that I know a lot of pastors. Yeah who aren't even the picture of the preferred destination. I mean, that's, that's, that's saying something. Here's what I will tell you. Jesus was. Jesus was the perfect picture of the, deferred destina- of the preferred destination. Why? Because he lived the life that he wanted everybody else to live. He led them how to live the life that he wanted them to live. He took them from untrained to fully trained. He taught them how to do that. And then he leveraged his influence through them as they began to lead others. That's, that's all you really need to know to be a good leader. You've got the right heart and you know how to, you know how to, you have the knowledge, you know what to do. You're on your way. You're only going to need one more thing. We'll talk about it in a minute. And you think about this. When you have, um, when you have people, when you have a whole, just, just put this in your mind. When you have a whole community of leaders that are all trying to live like Jesus, that are all trying to lead like Jesus, and are all trying to leverage your influence like Jesus, guess what? That, give, that gives you momentum, and that produces a movement. You know, think about this. This is crazy. Um, just as an example of what happens when, when, you, when you can get... When you can get that, when you know what to do, when you know how to do what Jesus did, and you can get other people to buy into that, it's incredible what can happen. 
I, uh, I don't travel a whole lot. I've been traveling more recently than I, I did for a long time. But I'll travel every now and then. I'll, I'll go out of the country every now and then. I go to every now and then. I'll go to a, you know a foreign country. I've been to uh, I've been to the Philippines. I've been to uh, Brazil a number of times. I've been to Albania recently. Um, been to um, uh, Kosovo uh, not too long ago. Been to Mexico. Been to a number, been to Alabama, been to some different places. <laughs> like and so, uh, uh, so, but here's the one thing I do is that whenever, uh, whenever, been to India a lot lately, but whenever I get to the airport, I look for one thing. I look for McDonald's. I never eat at McDonald's where I live. But when I get to an airport, I look for McDonald's. You know why? Because I know I'm going to get something that, I, that I'm familiar with, that I know what it's going to be. And I always order. Guess what I always order? What? No, 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 man. A Big Mac, man. A Big Mac. <laughs> How long has it been since you ate at McDonald's? Long man? time. Long time. Man. So I go, as soon as I get there, I get a Big Mac. And you know what's crazy? This is so true, man. Unbelievable. I don't care where you go in the world. A Big Mac is made the exact same way everywhere you go. It's true. Anybody know how they make a Big Mac? <laughs> Did you work at McDonald's? No, well, actually, yes, but I learned that from television when I was. Oh, there. you learned that from oh from television. Yeah, right. Oh, wow. Do you know what's funny? Everybody else here knew that too. Yeah. If they're over thirty years old. Excuse me. <laughs> now you know what's crazy. Think about this. Isn't this amazing? Isn't this 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 should be the only thing you need to leave here with? <laughs> If McDonald's can tell everybody in every country, every nation around the world how to make a Big Mac, and the Church of Jesus Christ can't agree on how to make a disciple, there's a reason why we're not making more. There's a reason why 70% of churches are plateaued or declining. It shouldn't be that hard. It shouldn't be that hard. Isn't it? I, I mean, stop and think about that for a minute. That's part of our problem, isn't it? Is that we've got this thing, we've got this thing way, way too confused, man. When when you can when you can when you can sell hamburgers all over the world, and you can teach people how to make a hamburger the exact same way all over the world, man, we ought to be able to do that. You know what? We might not use all M's, B's, C's, D's, but you know what? Every church you ought to go to, every ought to, everybody ought to be using the same, ought to have the same purpose and the same process and the same plan that Jesus had. And we ought to, we ought to be doing that better than any organization on the planet. But we're not. We're not. You know why? We don't have the right knowledge. And then the last thing we need is that we need to have what? The right understanding. The right understanding. So here's the difference. So motive, so a heart is, is what we call the purpose of leadership or the mission. Knowledge is what we would call the priorities of a leader or we could say the method. Uh, and then the last thing is this is what we call the principles of a leader. And, and this is what I like to think of as the movement. Now here, here's why. Because... This is where, this is where the baton has to be passed. This is where, um, this is the, this is probably 
the key part of being a leader that most of us don't get. All right. So what we do is, is that we might have the right heart and we might have the right knowledge. We might know the right things to do. But if I can't get it to you and you get it to him and him to him, then guess what? It, it doesn't go anywhere. We don't get any movement going. So I look at it like this. I think this is the heart. This is the head. And this is the hands. Is the hands of a leader. So let's say this. So if I'm if I'm pastoring our church and I say, you know what, um, I really want everybody in our church to become a, a a fully trained disciple. But if I'm the only one who believes that, if I'm the only one bought into that, and I'm the only one working that, how much traction are we going to get? Not much. Not much. <coughs> We're only going to get what I can do. But you know what? What if I could say, hey, I know how to build a Big Mac and I can teach you how to build a Big Mac. And if you'll do it and if you'll teach him how to build a Big Mac and if you now look, if we if everybody in this room knows how to get two all beef patty special sauce, cheese, pickles, lettuce, I don't know how to do it. You do better than me. You know what? If we could teach everybody in the church how to do the same thing. Oh, my gosh. Now. Now we become a movement that's expanding because we are developing leaders. And so, so you say, well, what do we need to understand? I, this is, in my opinion, this is the book of Acts. Okay, here, so here's what happened. So the Gospels, the Gospels, Jesus is giving them the right heart and Jesus is giving them the knowledge. But then the book of Acts, he says what? Go, do it. <laughs> so now what is he doing? He's passing the baton. baton. And now he's saying, now I need you to understand. I don't just need you to know. I need you to what? I need you to understand. I need you to understand how to do this. I need, to, I need, to, I need you to be able to take it and carry it out. And so... There are three things, just like there's three things here. There's three things that we need to understand. Here they are. And, and, and you'll catch this, is that they're all shared. Now, here's why I say that. Because how many of you know, once something becomes shared, it becomes more powerful? If it's only me, what did we just say? It's not much. But if I can get everybody else to share it, then guess what? Now we got some, now we got some, some power behind it. You know, think about this. The first thing that Jesus wanted them to do is he wanted them to all have a shared vision, right? What was his vision? Make disciples. So he wanted them to share. He, if he was, the, listen to this. If Jesus was the only one making disciples after he was dead and gone, guess what would have happened to Christianity? We wouldn't be talking about it today. If he was the only one, if it wasn't a shared vision, it was done. And we wouldn't even, we wouldn't even know what it is today. So he had a shared vision. But he didn't just have a shared vision. He also had a shared strategy. So he didn't just tell them the what. He also told them the how. And what did he say? Make disciples by what? Going, baptizing, and teaching. Going, baptizing, and teaching. So here's what he does. So if, let's just think about this. If all Jesus had done was to get it to the 12, but they didn't get it to anybody else, what would happen after they all died? We're still toast. We don't have a prayer. 
It's all over. It's gone. So here's what happens. So it has to be not just a shared vision. It has to be a shared what? Shared strategy. And then after shared strategy, the third thing you need, you got to have a shared passion. Got to have a shared passion. And a shared passion is really um, a willingness to lay down your life to see it happen. You know, the greatest expression of, you know, the greatest illustration of a passion is that after Jesus died, what happened to every single one of the disciples except Judas? Judas hung himself. What happened to the rest of them? They all martyred. Tell me they weren't passionate. They, oh my gosh. So if you can get, if you, if you can figure out how to get leaders like that, <laughs> your heel won't matter. <laughs> exactly. And so, uh, so, so, so here's what happens. Listen to this. This is really, really um, important. So if Satan wants to attack your heart, then here's what he does. He attacks the heart through discouragement. So here's what he'll do. He'll just get you discouraged and you'll say, man, this, is, this isn't working. This is too hard and, and I don't want to do this anymore and I'm just going to quit. He'll attack a heart with discouragement, but he will attack knowledge with distraction. And so remember, remember what happened uh, remember what happened to Nehemiah? Nehemiah was working on the wall and Sanballat and Tobiah came out and said what? Come on down off the wall and let's talk about it. Just try to get him distracted. Didn't make him bad, just made him busy, right? Just get him off the wall. And, uh, and then, so here's what happens. So when it comes to the heart, Satan uses discouragement. When it comes to knowledge, Satan uses distraction. But then check this out. When it comes to understanding, guess what he uses? Starts with a D. Division, disunity. Disunity. So here's what happens. So you say, well, let's try to use this. Let's try this kind of music, see if we can reach more people. Are you kidding me? A guitar, drums, a band, skinny jeans. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Maybe not skinny jeans, but you know what I'm saying, right? So all of a sudden, instead of it, Instead of it being, let's do everything it takes to see more people become disciples and make disciples. Now, guess what? Now we've got disunity. We've got division. It's attacking that. It's fighting that. And so here's the part that I really love. So when you get a whole community, we don't have it yet. We don't have it yet. But I will tell you this. We do have some. We do have some. But when you get a whole community of leaders that have the right heart and the right knowledge and the right understanding, guess what you get? The right results. You get the right results. Because think about it. When you've got people that are being driven by the same thing that drove Jesus and you've got leaders that are doing the same thing Jesus did and that are sharing it the way Jesus shared it, then here's what's going to happen. You don't have less baptisms, you have more baptisms. You don't have less spiritual growth, you have more spiritual growth. You don't have less worshipers, you get more worshipers. You don't have less givers, you have more givers. You don't have le less servants, you have more servants. You don't have uh, uh, less evangelists, you have more evangelists. You don't have less disciple makers, you have more disciple makers. You say, well, how do you know that? Read the book of Acts. 
That's it. This right here, listen, act, the right results is Acts chapter 2. It's Acts chapter 2 right here. You know what? You know what we would call Acts chapter 2 today in our churches? You know what we call that? If people were being devoted to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to breaking of bread and to prayer and they were meeting together in small groups and they were sharing their stuff and giving to each other as they had need and they were worshiping God with glad and sincere hearts and they were people were being added. Guess what we would call that today? Revival. That's it, brother. A miracle. <laughs> we would call that revival. And you know what? What we'd have? We'd have a whole community of believers living an M fully trained M7 lifestyle because they're being led by leaders that are leading them to live that way. So you just got to figure out how you're going to develop them. So here's what we do at our church. Just, just it's not the only way you can do it, but this is one way to do it. We're, we don't even we. I'm even ready to change this because <laughs> I see, see some things. But here's what we do. So, uh, so I got a small group of guys that I meet with. And there's two guys in my group that are potential leaders. I meet with my small group of guys uh, every single week. I meet with them and we're working through this right here. But there's two of those guys that are going to be my leaders that are going to lead new groups in the fall next year. We just started in August. And I meet with them once a month. I meet with them once a month. And all this does is this just gives us a guide. In fact, let me just show you so you'll, so you'll know. So this just gives us a guide of how to teach them what I just taught you. So the reason we don't just do it in one session is because we need some life together. So I got two guys I'm meeting with every month. One of them's name's Paul, one of them's name's Mike. And guess what we do? Is that we talk about how we're doing, and then we talk about how the guys in our group are doing. And so guess what they're getting? On-the-job leadership training. It's not leadership. Listen, 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 listen. Oh, my gosh. So we do all this leadership development stuff in a classroom. Jesus made his leaders in the context of ministry. And we're doing leadership development in the context of ministry so that we are doing, we're leading our guys in our group to a preferred destination. Does that make sense? So, so we just, again, you can come up with a tool that you can use, but use the principles. So just, just go into a, just going through a leadership course, unless it's tied to ministry, is not nearly as effective. And so, uh, so that's that's just kind of how we're fleshing it out, how we're trying to do it. So let me give you one last story, and uh, and okay, yeah, this will be great. And then we'll take a question or two. So uh, I was in, I went to a place called Southwestern Seminary out in Fort Worth, Texas, and uh, it's it a great, great, great experience, but. The, one of my favorite professors was actually I had him twice but the first semester that I had him was my first semester there it was evangelism course and a guy named Roy Fish uh, taught uh, this class and I will never forget he was 
he was speaking, I think, I think it might have been the first, it was really early in the semester, but he tells a story, and just old preacher story. It's just one of those good old, it, it, you know, it's just a good old preacher story. Who knows how, where it came from or how many times it's been told. But he says, he says uh, he's at the end of his lecture, and he says, so he says, uh, one day uh, when, when Jesus, you know, uh, ascended back to heaven, he, uh, he goes to the gates of heaven, and Gabriel's standing there. And Gabriel says, Lord, man, it is so good to see you. Welcome home, man. We've missed you all these years, man. You've been gone 30-something years. We're, we're so glad you're back, man. So welcome home. How did it go while you were on earth? And Jesus says, Gabriel, man, it was awesome, man. It was so cool. So you wouldn't believe everything that's happened, but especially the last three years, man, you wouldn't believe what's happened. He said, man, I've been able to help the blind to see. I've been able to help the, uh, the, uh, the lame to walk. I've been able to help the deaf to hear, the, uh, the dumb to speak. He said, man, it's been incredible. I've done some miracles, man. I've walked on water. I've fed 5,000 with a handful of fish. I mean, God's given me great truth. I've been able to speak life-changing truth. I've seen people. People saved. I mean, it's been incredible what all's happened, and uh, you just wouldn't believe. And then, right, right toward the end, the enemy, the enemy thought he had me, and so, uh, so they nailed me to a cross. I died on a cross, but three days later, guess what? The Father raised me from the dead, and so I have ascended. I've come home, and back here, set at the right hand of the Father. Gabriel said, Lord, that is so awesome. That is so cool. I can't believe all that happened. That is amazing. And he said, I just got one question. And he says, so what now? And Jesus said, oh, Gabriel, that's been the best part. He said, because for the last three years, the Father gave me a handful of men. And I've been pouring my life into those men every day for the last three years. And guess what? Everything they've seen me do, now they're going to do it. They're going to do exactly what I was sent to do. And Gabriel says, Lord, that's incredible. That's awesome. He said, I have one question. He said, what if they don't do it? What if they don't do it? And Jesus says, Gabriel, I have no plan B. Here's <laughs> what he said. If they don't do it, guess what? It will not happen. I have no plan other plan. I don't know where you are today and I don't even know why you came here. But I'm going to tell you this. We are plan A. Mm -hmm. so good. And Christianity will come to a screeching halt yes. if we don't do what Jesus did. Awesome, and if we don't go out and pour our lives into a handful of people. And here's what I really hope you'll hear. So all this stuff, all the strategy, all these things, all that's great. All that's great. But please do this. Please do this. Leave here. Because not everybody's going to do this. Leave here. Go back to where you live. And if you can do it in your church, great. But if you can't, do not let that be an excuse. Go back to where you are and do this. Find four or five or six people or couples and ask them, start in January. Because this is a great time. We're, we're right in November, right? Almost November. So just do this. You got two months. Take two months. Go meet with a handful of people and do this and say, hey, would you meet with me once a week? And look for at least one person, if not two, that you can pour, through, pour into as a leader, as a multiplier. And start in January and meet with these people every week 
and take a couple of those guys and meet with them every month to be your leaders. Now, we can give you resources, but I don't care if you use the resources. We're not, we're not, we didn't come here. I mean, it doesn't matter if you use these resources or not. It really doesn't. But here's what you do. Start doing that in January. Start it. Make it your goal in January of 2019. And then do this. Just do it every year for the rest of your life. Just do it every year for the rest of your life. Just do it every year for the rest of your life. I don't care what your position is. I don't care where you go to church. I don't care what you do for a living. I don't care what else. Listen, you do have, if you're too busy to do what Jesus did, you're just too busy. Amen. And so it, it doesn't matter who you came with. What you, it, it, it just doesn't matter. Just go find you. If you leave here and you get four, five, six people and you meet with them and you do that every year for the rest of your life, you say, but what if most of them don't even reproduce? It doesn't matter. All you need is one. All you need is one. All you need is one person to take what you did and go out and reproduce it. And if they do it well enough, then guess what? Long after you're dead and gone, your legacy for Jesus Christ lives on. And you will continue to impact eternity for the rest of your... For, you will continue to... If you do it well enough, long after you're dead and gone, your influence for Jesus Christ, they'll forget you. But your influence for Jesus Christ will continue to live on until Jesus comes back. And I don't know. I, I don't know what else you want to, want to do with your life. There is no higher calling to do with your life than to be a disciple maker. He, he discourages your heart. Distracts your, your, your mind and, and what you need to know and do. So the 315 groups, so here's the way we do it right now. We have some groups that just, like uh, small group leaders that are taking potential small group leaders through. So some of those groups are led by uh, people in, in a, whatever time is convenient. But we do have a one, one week, one, once a month meeting time that is a central time for if they want to come, bring their group. So. Uh, Glenn and I lead a group on the second Sunday night of every month, 5 o'clock in the afternoon, and we've got about 30 or 40 of these 315 leaders who all come together. I do a quick little uh, whiteboard overview of what they've talked about for that month, and then we go into our small groups and we talk about it. So uh, it, it, it is the leader that's leading that, that group. You, you want it to keep multiplying. So I just kind of tee it up, but I'm not, if I'm the one leading it all, it's not multiplying. Anybody else? I must have missed something. What's the, because uh, this is my first session. Mm -hmm. 315. So 315 is the leadership training tool that we use oh, okay. based on Jeremiah 315. Ah, okay. Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah. You did, you did. You missed a lot. <laughs> That's okay, though. That's okay. That's okay. Yeah. So you repeat the M7? The M7. So the M7 are seven marks of a disciple. We believe that every disciple ought to be a member. In other words, they all ought to belong to the mission and the movement of Christ. Secondly is they all ought to be a magnifier. It's all right here in your book, if you got a book. They ought to be a magnifier, which means they ought to be a worshiper. They all ought to be uh, maturing. They all ought to be growing. Every disciple ought to be growing, right? We all agree with that? Every disciple ought to be using their spiritual gifts in ministry somewhere. Uh, that's a minister. Every disciple ought to be 
a better manager of their resources, steward. Every disciple ought to be a messenger. They ought to be sharing their faith. If, if they're not, then they're not fully trained. They're partially trained. You've been listening to the Disciple Makers Podcast. Have you signed up for the next National Disciple Making Forum? Every year, disciple makers from across the country and around the world gather together in one place to learn disciple making. Save your seat and register now. You can find a registration link at discipleship.org. At checkout, use promo code PODCAST to get 20% off your tickets. In addition to this podcast, you'll find many other great discipleship resources at discipleship.org as well. May the Lord bless you as you seek to grow as a disciple maker.